I will be reading Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 9. Hear now God's word, for this is indeed his holy and infallible word. Now it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Let's pray together. Oh, our God, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and you have appointed me merely as your herald. This is your word. May you be with me to speak it clearly and boldly with liberty and passion and clarity. Would you open our hearts to receive it as we ought, the, the very word of God? Would you equip us? Would you give us hope? and give us comfort. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The 19th century philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche is attributed with a quote saying, sometimes people do not want to hear the truth because they do not want their illusions destroyed. But there's one truth that doesn't seem to me be up for much debate is that there is something wrong with the world in which we live. The real question is, what is the root or the source of the problem? The thinking is, if we could only get to the root cause of the problems of our age, we could solve them. Or at least that's what we've thought as mankind over the course of History is just a matter of working together, having the proper education, having a common purpose, perhaps the right governmental policies or social norms. If we can only just do that, we can solve the world's problems, end war, usher in lasting peace, end world hunger, end disease, name it, all the important problems of our life, we would be able to solve that. And yet, over the course of history, we've had our illusions destroyed as we've tried this in many different ways, and the world and the church along with it over history seems to go through this ebb and flow of this hopeful triumphalism where we sing, onward Christian soldiers, let's work together, we can solve this, to this abject pessimism, which sings that the closing words of the Bohemian Rhapsody, nothing really matters, anyone can see, nothing really matters to me. Or to put it in more biblical language, the writer of Ecclesiastes said, what does man gain from all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. There's nothing new under the sun. And beloved, I think scripture teaches us that this being tossed between these two poles, uh, these emotional poles, is uh, normal. It's what we can expect. Romans chapter 8 
speaks of the futility, the frustration that uh, characterizes our experience. It says that all creation was subjected to futility. Uh, subjected to futility. And yet, at the same time, we like the passage that we read last week, there was such great hope, this majestic hope, that the Lord Jesus Christ was found faithful and has been seated at God's right hand and all things have been put under his feet. So we're caught wrestling through how do we, how we deal with these two twin realities in the midst of our experience. And in the midst of that, the Lord, seated on his throne, speaks. And as we hear in this passage, he says two words that ought to give us hope and comfort. And those two words are, not yet. Not yet. Or more to the point, he says, we do not yet see everything, but we do see him crowned, crowned with glory and honor. So in other words, what we do see now in the Lord Jesus Christ gives us hope that we, what we do not yet see will be coming soon. Because the Son of God became man to reclaim man's dominion over God's world. So in this passage in verses 5 to 9, there's a lot of commentary on Psalm 8, that psalm that we just sang. And that psalm is focused on praising God for this the fact that the transcendent God is taking notice of mankind, praising him for his creation, but he's expressed his notice of mankind by putting all things under his feet, giving him dominion over the work of his hands. And kids, the word dominion is a, an important word for you. Uh, it's an important word for us to understand. Dominion basically means uh, being in charge of, ruling over, so you can think of it like this. Your parents own the house in which you live, but they have probably given you dominion over your room. You have dominion. Now you might need to exercise dominion. You might need to clean it up. You might need to organize things. That's exercising dominion. But you have the authority over what goes on in your room. And what Psalm 8 says and what this passage says is that God has given dominion over the works of his hands to mankind. And so going through this passage, there's this story of this what's happened with the dominion that God has given to mankind. And it's a, it's a story with four chapters. It starts with a dominion gained, a dominion lost, dominion regained, and then finally dominion perfected. So it begins by speaking of dominion gained. It says, quoting Psalm 8, it's been testified somewhere that you have, what is man? You have um, given him, you put everything in subjection under his feet. You have crowned him with glory and honor and given him authority over the works of his hands. Uh, we read this from Genesis chapter 1. At the very beginning, God created mankind in his image with the intent that he would take dominion, he would rule over all the things that God had created. It was part of that intent. And that's what he speaks of here in Psalm 8, that there is inherent dignity in who we are as people. 
not simply because we were created in the image of God, not simply because we were made a little lower than the angels, but because God has entrusted to us care, authority, dominion over the works of his hands. And it's an expansive and complete, comprehensive authority. As it says in verse 8, it says, Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. So what that means is that the birds, the reptiles, the mammals, everything that swims in the sea, all atoms, things, microscopic, viruses, the weather, earthquakes, volcanoes, and all things related to human civilization and composition and character, all those things God has entrusted to mankind. So there's something in us, a a desire that was implanted in us, a part of our design intent to rule over the things that we see, to see order, to create order out of chaos, to bring solutions to problems. It's not just a desire that we have, but it was a mandate, a command that God gave. Fill the earth and subdue it. Take dominion over the works of my hands. But then something happened, and verse 8, the second part of verse 8, is the ultimate understatement for our experience. simply says, at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, him still being mankind. We do not see everything in subjection to mankind. We can't control hurricanes, droughts, earthquakes, and floods, even with the most profound and perfect environmental policies. And even with all our medical technology and mastery, we can't solve the problem of sickness, cancers, viruses, or death. It was recently reported that Jeff Bezos, the uh, founder of Amazon, is investing millions of dollars in an age, a, a company that has um, a age, it's an age reversal firm where they're on a scientific quest for immortality. Like if only we just throw enough money, enough technology, enough brilliant people, we can solve the problem of life. And beloved, he's wasting his money. And we know this. We know that this is a fool's errand. There's not, we couldn't throw all the money in the world with all the most brilliant scientists and doctors at this world to stop the problem of death. Um, We were given dominion and commanded to do it, but we've lost that dominion. We have lost the ability to control these things. Death should not even be a thing. Death is an interruption into God's great design because we are under a curse. And yet it is a thing. Every one of us will die. And so what we see is that we have lost dominion and it is because of the sin that we committed against the holy God. This is the root cause of the brokenness in our experience. Adam was 
commanded to take dominion, Adam sinned against God, and God placed Adam and all creation under a curse. So now we continue to pursue that dominion, but it is faulty. It is, we continue to work, but it's now by the sweat of our brow. It's no longer pleasing, and it's subject to futility rather than the good things that we intend to do. There are thorns and thistles that happen in its place. And it's not just the weather and the physical creation. We can't even control our relationships with one another. We can't orchestrate peace and fellowship the way that they ought to be. And even if we look within our own hearts, we struggle with self-control. We are led astray by various passions and harm ourselves and others. And so we've lost the control, we've lost the dominion. And maybe you think that that's a bit harsh. Maybe it's like, uh, maybe we haven't really, truly, absolutely lost dominion over the works of our, our hands. Well, let me ask you this, let me put it this way. If we just consider the past 2,000 years since the Lord Jesus walked on this earth, what problems, what true problems of our experience has humanity truly solved? There's nothing new under the sun, including there's no new solutions under the sun. Yeah, we've made a lot of technological advancements, but what problems have we really solved? The problems we face today are not new. They've gone on and on. We can't even agree on the problems, let alone the solutions to the problems. But beloved, in the midst of that dire message that we experience there's, there is a, a gleam of hope. And it's right there in verse 5. He says, Now it's not to angels that God subjected the world to come. The world to come of which we are speaking. Beloved, what if the futility and the frustration that characterizes our experience is constrained to this world? But there is a world to come that is free of this this futility and frustration? What if this life truly is a wilderness full of thorns and thistles, but there is a better country that we are headed to that is a land flowing with milk and honey? What, there, there's this world to come that we can't see, and the biblical authors can't even seem to properly describe it with detail other than this beautiful poetic imagery. But what if this, this, this frustration in our hearts is evidence that we are created for something much more, that there is something that is much beyond what we experience right now? And what if the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ has been exalted to God's right hand is evidence that that is coming soon? And beloved, that's exactly what God is saying in this particular passage. He says this. He says, You've made him for a little while lower than angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not see it in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everything. There's a lot 
in there. So let's unpack his argument. He says, God has given dominion to mankind, but we do not see that dominion being exercised. And yet we see something that gives us hope. We do not see it, but we do see Jesus. So why is that something that we ought to hope? Well, the second thing is that because it was man that, was, that received dominion from God to rule over his world, the Son of God had to become man so that he could regain dominion for mankind. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, became a man to take dominion for mankind. And while he was for a little while lower than the angels, his dignity as the Son of God exalted over all was not marred because he was only lower than the angels for a little while as he uh, was on this earth. But then he experienced death, it says. He, he suffered death because the dominion was lost because of sin. Satisfaction had to be made for that sin. Because in Adam, all mankind sinned and lost dominion the Lord Jesus Christ had to come and pay that penalty to walk in the fullness of the righteousness of God, to be raised to new life, to give us life. As in Adam, all were made dead and lost dominion, so in Christ Jesus, all who are his are given life and will receive that dominion restored. And so in Christ Jesus... We receive that dominion. It says he, w- he, he died and yet he was innocent. He was perfect. He was spotless. He had no right to die. He had not committed any sin. And so scripture makes clear that death could not hold him. And what we read last week was that he was vindicated. He was vindicated in this fact that because he was perfect, God raised him up from the dead, and seated him in the heavenly realms. And he's exalted above all things. But this is the man, Jesus Christ, who has been exalted into the heavenly realms. And so now there is a man seated in the world to come who is reigning over all things. And in him we have dominion. But the rub is we don't see that. We don't see everything in subjection to him, but we do see him crowned. So by seeing him crowned, we know that it is coming, but it is not yet the way that it ought to be. And so what we're longing for, beloved, is for that dominion to be perfected. And yet again, that those two words, not yet, give us great hope. We do not yet see everything in subjection to him. And that ought to give us great hope. Because what he's saying is, not yet, but we will see the Lord Jesus Christ with all things under his feet. We will see it with our own eyes. Beloved, that ache, that ache in our gut to see justice being done, to being to see an end to all pain and sickness and sorrow, that ache to see the enemies of God bow their knee before the Lord Jesus Christ, 
and to see myriads upon myriads of God's chosen people worshiping with unfettered, unrestrained, exuberant worship before the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, that is, that is just a glimpse. That's just a glimpse of this world to come. This is that world to come that he speaks of. That is the place where we will see all things in subjection to the Lord Jesus Christ. But beloved, not, not just to the Lord Jesus Christ either. Notice what it says in verse 5. It says, It was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we were speaking. It was not, just, it was not to angels, but it was to mankind that God subjected the world to the world to come. The Lord Jesus, the Son of God, became a man so that man would take ultimate authority in the person of Jesus Christ. But Scripture says elsewhere, if we endure, we will reign with him. We will see our heart's desires satisfied for the good things that we are longing for that are outside of our reach in this life. Those things exist in the world to come. And the Lord Jesus Christ has taken his seat on the throne in the world to come, and he is preparing a place for you and for me. He is inviting us there. And so what Scripture seems to clearly be saying is that there are two worlds. There is the world in which we live, and there is the world to come. This world is under a curse, and the world to come is the land of blessing. This world is passing away, but that world endures forever. The Apostle John says the world and all of its desires are passing away. We read last week that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the King of Kings, will this, this world is, is wearing out like a garment. He will roll it up like a robe, change it out, and usher in the world to come. And Christ is reigning now. And he is coming soon to bring this for us. But beloved, it's not, um, it's not, not as though this world is, all hope is lost. Because you notice he says, um, we, at present we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. We do not see all things in subjection to him. But we do see some things in subjection to him. We, we see, saw a glimpse of that as the Lord Jesus Christ came and walked on the earth. He came and proclaimed the message of the kingdom, the gospel of Jesus Christ, this great salvation that saves us, that fits us for this world to come, that sets us apart for that great day. So there was, a, there was evidence of his authority and reign even then. But even if we look at his powerful works, weren't those glimpses of the world to come? He, this was the man, Jesus Christ, casting out demons, exercising authority over demons, exercising authority over diseases, casting out these things, reconciling people to himself. Those are glimpses of the world to come. But beloved, even now we can see glimpses of Christ's authority. And the clearest example 
look around this room. If you are in Jesus Christ, then know that the king has subdued you for himself. You who once were a rebel against the Lord Jesus Christ, an alien to his promises and his blessings, he has quieted you by his love. And he has slayed you with the sword of his mouth, not with words of destruction, but with words of love and mercy and grace and hope. And by his spirit, even now, he is sanctifying you, making you holy, preparing you for the world to come, making you fit for his kingdom. So, beloved, the question that you and I have to ask ourselves is, to which world do you truly belong? Is your hope squarely in this life and in all the good things that this life can provide? Are you clinging for the treasures and the rewards that are in this life, seeking to have your best life now? The Lord Jesus Christ speaks from the world to come to say, these things are perishing. This is but dust. And we have to be honest, there's an allure to the trappings of this life. These are the things that we see with our eyes. Everything else we have to believe by faith. Things that we do not yet see. But the Lord Jesus Christ invites you into his kingdom to experience this world that we were created for. Christ speaks of a, a, a promise of a world to come to give us hope and stamina in the midst of this wilderness in which we walk. And there's a few ways where that is the case. The first is there are some unique temptations that we face by not seeing the Lord Jesus Christ fully in control. Um, do not forget, beloved, that you were bought with a price, the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is easy for us to live with secret sins that we think no one knows and no one cares about. But the Lord Jesus Christ is seated on his throne and he sees everything. And if he has subdued you for himself, if you are his, he calls you to repent of those things and to walk in the fullness of his grace because his grace is the place of blessing. Those sins are to your destruction. And some of those sins uh, that we face often come from the fact that we do not truly believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is even now in control of all things. Um, or we don't like the way that he is in control. Notice that it doesn't say that he's not, it doesn't say that he's not in control. It says that we don't see it. We don't see it. He has been seated on his throne. He is reigning supreme. We just don't see it. And so we must, it's easy for us to despair when we look at our experience, to grow angry at the way that things are and to grumble against the Lord's control. Why isn't he doing things the way that I want, bringing the peace that I want now? And to that, 
God says, patiently endure evil. I mean, if you think about it, that's, it's remarkable. Jesus Christ is seated on his throne, and he sees everything perfectly. He feels each sin more potently than you ever will, and yet he is, even now, patiently enduring evil as he works out his purposes. And that's what he calls you to do. He calls you to patiently endure evil, even as you work out his purposes. And if we're under his authority, if we are submitting to him as our king, we need to live accordingly. We can't be given to spiritual laziness, but we must pursue holiness. He has rescued us from a dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his glorious life. We ought to give him our full attention and undivided worship. And one of those key ways that we worship him is by presenting our bodies as living sacrifices, worshiping him in every aspect of our life, through our work, through our relationships, through our families, through our thought life, every aspect of what we are. And remember, Ephesians says that we are to, that he has, he has saved us for good works, which he has prepared for us to do. So if you think about it, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has saved you for himself, has set apart, has prepared good works for you to do, that you would walk in them, and those good works which are pleasing to him are a glimpse in the midst of this world, of the world to come. So Jesus Christ, through you, is giving a watching world a glimpse of the world to come, a world that is replete and full with good works and unending good works. Beloved, don't forget that the Lord Jesus Christ, while he reigns, he loves, he loves you. He loves you. You might not see his control, but he has been protecting you and watching over you and providing for you in ways that you have not seen. He is for you. He is all-powerful, and he is for you. He is, he is promising to bring you safely home. Remember how valuable you are to him, your deliverance and your perseverance, bought with his precious blood. He experienced death for you so that you would be his. He will see you safely home. Rest in him as your refuge and strength. And beloved, until that day, until we, that day when we see him face to face in this world, understand that this, this ache, this longing for the world to come, it's right, it's legitimate, it's good. Cultivate that sense of longing. Meditate on what that world to, to come will be, where we are in the presence of our Lord forever and ever. Let the things of this world diminish in their value in our eyes. And let the, the realities of those things fuel your day-to-day -day hope. Christ is coming, 
And you have been granted the privilege of living in that blessed world to come. And finally, brothers and sisters, as a church, we have to remember that we are on this journey together. We are stuck in this wilderness together on this pilgrimage to our heavenly city. Let us not forget to encourage one another to hold one another accountable, to walk alongside, to push, pull, and or carry if we need to uh, with humble admission of the difficulties of this life even while we look ahead to the glory that will be ours when we reach that place. Beloved, sometimes people don't want to hear the truth because they don't want their illusions to be destroyed. The truth is, beloved, that this world and all of its desires are passing away. The truth is, beloved, that there is a world to come. But we must choose which world in which we're going to live. And either way, that that choice is extremely costly. The truth is, beloved, the only way that we get to that world to come is by and through faith in the one who rules and reigns in that place even now, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he demands from us everything because he is the king. But the truth is, beloved, he promises us more than we could ever ask or imagine if we would only trust him to lead us home into his heavenly presence forever and ever. Beloved, we do not yet see everything in subjection to the Lord Jesus Christ, but we will, because Christ is coming soon. Even still, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen and amen. Let's pray together. Father, sometimes we are so weary in the midst of this life, so frustrated, and you are so gracious to extend to us hope and to give us strength for the journey. Help us to never take our eyes off Jesus, who is the author, the perfecter, the finisher of our faith and our champion. We hope in him and we trust in him and we thank you for him and we pray these things in his name. Amen.